It's the Occult Mr. Podcast, where we talk about the mysteries hidden behind Mickey. Welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast, where we find magical secrets hidden deep inside mice. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt here. As always, uh, we have the paranoid American. I, I guess That's you're being, paranoid I'm, as I'm ever. also here. You're paranoid I, as ever. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I think I, I don't want to say plateau, but I, I kind of hit peak paranoia to now I either have to match people that are even more paranoid than me and... I'm not ready to go to some levels that I've seen out there. Uh, so I just, you know, I, I'm not necessarily the most paranoid American. I'm just a paranoid American. Right, right. Well, yeah, everyone can be a little paranoid, right? <laughs> I think uh, it's healthy. I think one of, uh, I can't remember, it was a great thinker once said, total paranoia is total consciousness. Oh, that was actually right. Charles Manson. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, well, I have to I have to introduce it using the name of the Zoom meeting I made, which is many kinds of poo, um, because we are looking at the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And uh, as we were talking just before the show started, I, I made you watch Tokyo's Honey Hunt, which apparently is shattering your mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you held me down and MK Ultra forced me to watch it. But now I've I love it and embrace it. And it's something that I want to visit now. I'm thinking about what what are we missing by not? I mean, ride throughs are a lot of fun. I, I haven't been in America to do the runaway runaway railway, but I feel like I'm halfway experienced. You know, <laughs> now this this is honestly one of the cooler rides. It also looks a little bit more up to date because, like you were showing, it doesn't have the tracks. It's one of those trackless, so they call them, I think, six D rides or at least four D rides, uh, where they can sort of just move anywhere they need to as it goes through the ride. And it also features probably the coolest scene in the original uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh movie, which seems like it's paying homage to that uh, Dumbo scene where they get drunk and they have like the dancing elephants. So uh, it, it feels like not only is that scene in the movie an homage to that, but now this ride is an homage to both of those. And it just looks like a great ride. It's it's kind of short, uh, but, you know, they all are, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's it is. I consider it my favorite. And um, prime time for me going to Tokyo Disney was about two thousand four to two thousand eight. I'd go like two or three times a year, and and I don't know how it works now. If you have to get on apps and like plan your vacation six weeks in advance, like you do in Florida now, but uh, you know yeah. the plan is the plan for me is go to Main Street, have breakfast, be ready when they let the gates out of Main Street, make a beeline for the Honey Hunt, get a fast pass, and and then hit one of the mountains. <laughs> It, you do have to have a strategy now. You you can't go there and just kind of play it by ear. If you do, you're just sort of bumbling around. You're you're probably not going to just like wander into a unexpectedly short line on a great ride. You kind of have to know exactly what you want to do and plan it out. Like you said, maybe not in in Orlando where you got to do it weeks or months in advance. But you can't just kind of like show up and and play it by ear as much. Uh, for the most part, you're correct, especially in Tokyo. But um, I used to target like. Thursdays and uh, you know, Thursdays in February, and I do remember being at Disneyland like about six at night and being like, 
gee, I actually wish there were more people here. It was like kind of empty-ish, you know, a little, a little bit creepy. And Disney Sea, we went once and there was nobody in the park. We were getting fast passes till about 10 a.m. And then we were like, why are we getting fast passes? There's nobody here. It's like we rented the place for a day. I don't know if you can experience that sort of thing anymore, but <laughs> there's an art form to it. Uh, I mean, we've got all sorts of um, tropical depression and hurricane warnings. And I do remember there was one year there was a hurricane warning and it was on my, like my birthday and we had driven all the way out to Bush Gardens, which is in Tampa. And when we got there, they were they had actually just declared being reopened, but everyone that was in the park previously had to go home because they would they were shutting down preemptively. So it was really just us, and it was so dead that by the time we got up to the the roller coaster to ride it, they just let us sit in there and just stay strapped in and just say, you know, run us again, run us again. <laughs> we didn't have to go back through the line or anything. It was it was great, but you can't really ever plan on that to happen, you know. I am. I'm realizing both of us do a lot of podcasting. And that that was at least a two timer award for us. So <laughs> maybe not up to the five timers, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it's nice to know that that you own own the park for a day, or uh, you know, it, depending on what weird circumstances we have. Um, I guess we should. You want to talk about the nice movie or the naughty movie first? Uh, let's let's do the nice one. Honestly. I wouldn't even call it naughty. I, I wasn't as impressed as I was hoping to be. Although I'm, it might seem silly to say I was expecting more from Blood and Honey. Oh, I was I, definitely expecting more out of it. I, I honestly wasn't, but uh, so I we'll we'll talk about that maybe as a bit of an afterthought. Uh, the the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I'm sure I saw all the clips somewhere when I was a kid, but you know, just all willy nilly here and there. Um, we watched it. About 10 years ago, because we got the, the Blu-ray of the 2011 Winnie the Pooh, uh, which which I watched for the first time, um, you know, getting prepared for this. I, I figured I was working ahead a little bit to get more content in. Oh, that one gets its own episode, by the way. But <laughs> um, OK, OK, uh, that that actually is one of my probably top five Disney movies, the 2011 one. It was it was great. I was it was more than I was expecting for sure. And I loved how. It paid homage to sort of like that hand-drawn animation. I mean, they took, they used, you know, the conveniences of modern technology in some of the scenes, but it looked great. You know, it it yeah. didn't look like some kind of like frilly computer flash animation that was just kind of cranked out. And that's part of the reason I liked that one. But yeah, everybody liked it. You know, my wife liked it. My daughter liked it. We were like, oh, I was like, oh, we should go watch the classic Pooh movie. So I, I don't know which one. I guess you watched the 2011 one second. Uh, I did, yeah. Okay, that that was good because if you watched them the other way, the older one it's very charming, but the newer one just has sharp, really sharp dialogue and you know wordplay and stuff. And the older one's charming, but not that funny. <laughs> I could see that, yeah. So and and then and then I think we put on the Huffalo movie, which is like even which doesn't have much of the charm either. <laughs> The the what movie? The Huffalump movie, which is uh 2005, 2006. I think it mostly focuses on Rue, which is a bad oh, this, choice. It's called The Huffalump, but it's a Winnie the Pooh movie. Was this a direct-to-video type of movie? Yeah, Disney Tunes or something. Uh, about What about the 2011? That, that one... Is that, that theatrical? It was theatrical, and it flopped as hard as possible. Wow. Which, which that's... I mean, geez, have we even seen a proper hand-drawn looking disney since that that and princess and the frog both good movies and both of them 
kind of a yeah, they decided know, just, to dip their toe back in the pool and it was like whoa it's still pretty cold in there <laughs> yeah i mean they did a good job right it, it i mean princess and the frog is far from my favorite but like i was saying 2011 winnie pooh is pretty close to my favorite so it's, um, i wish that, that that sort of level of animation maybe got paid attention to less juvenile projects yeah not not in a bad way but winnie the pooh is clearly like you know the duplo <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the fisher price of what could be something really cool actually in japan maybe that's maybe because of the honey hunt maybe that's why we have the honey hunt uh poo is a little bit more i guess less kitty i mean it is but i mean dudes i've seen dudes at disneyland walking around in like poo suits you know like hoodies and stuff so <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's never not funny to just hear poo suits or you know all of the different you know oh, i'm hearing them all even if i don't chuckle at all of them i'm hearing every one of them oh i i don't know if you had a look at my notes either but uh, i was not going to write christopher robin over and over again so he's been renamed c rob <laughs> in my notes <laughs> yo yo i'm c rob that okay that's what got me when i was a kid i was like um as a child I, I thought Christopher Robin seemed like a, a, an irrepressible dork. I was like, oh, does mother dress him? You know, five-year-old uh, cynical Matt was... <laughs> or maybe I was worried that I was dressed too similar to him. That might have been the problem, too. <laughs> well, there was... Man, I, I might just be making things up or, or pulling this from a different dimension, right? But I could have sworn that there was also a TV show of Winnie the Pooh as well. Not, you are correct. not just these two okay that for whatever reason i have i haven't seen it since i was a kid but i remember watching it a lot and i definitely got that same vibe from christopher robin from that but re-watching these movies i didn't get that much of a vibe because he's not really even a main player in any of them he just kind of shows up at the beginning and end he's like the grandma and muppet babies or like you know one of the adults and like any of those other sort of shows where they just kind of like pop in and out um, I mean, but I remember the TV show. He rubbed me the wrong way. I don't remember why. That, well, he's a character that should only be in it the amount he is here, right? It, more than that, yeah. like in the show you're mentioning, it just ugh, gets rubs you the wrong way. I guess the thing with uh, the 80s Disney stuff is it, it's a weird case where the original stuff kind of outclassed the uh, <laughs> the IP stuff. Because what, what you got? Yeah. DuckTales with, with all the Illuminati stuff. That's fun. Uh, the Rescue Rangers. uh tailspin gummy bears I, I know a lot of listeners just got like 10 earworms stuck in their head there so <laughs> those are all i mean those ones were all great shows there was also uh there's a lost media sort of search for the dumbo live action slash puppet show that was in the 80s and that one's a little bit creepy to go back and watch that one i also remember watching all the time Oh, okay. That sounds fun. That's that sounds similar to something I just um had seen, which was uh nineteen eighty-nine ice capades with Super Mario on ice, and Mr. Belvedere is playing King Koopa. It was a different time, man. And then Mario just kind of disappears while Luigi takes out all of the uh the the Troopa Koopas and, and Goombas or whatever, and, and then Mario kind of shows up at the end to, to claim the glory. It's like Luigi has to do the work, so I mean, I, I would if I was the popular one that had, you know, top billing, I would just have my brother do all the dirty work. Yeah, but you and need to be sit back and collect those checks on stage. Um, how do you want to hit the, the 77 movie? I mean, I know it's like a meme now, but but the first thought that came to me is just trying to work out who everyone's you know, psychological issue is in the 
hundred acre wood gang. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because when I was trying to do some research into like some of the archetypes and and the symbols that are part of this movie, like the every you know the top hundred results are all just people playing armchair psychologist and just giving each character a different sort of mental illness, which is interesting because the first thing I thought of is is that there should be a website out there where someone does this for just every movie. You just psychoanalyze every movie and determine who's the psychopath and who's the narcissist and who has ADHD and all these things. Well, unless it's uh, why is it Winnie the Pooh in particular? <laughs> but but why is why is it this movie in particular that seems to get that much of a specific focus, I wonder? I think the key, because Sesame Street gets this too, I think you have to have a truly depressed character and then people want to like figure out what's wrong with everyone else as well. Okay, Cause yes, you know, right. um, Snuffleupagus and, and I was about to say grimace. Um, uh, Eeyore, Oscar, you know, the, Oscar, the grouch. Yeah. Well, Oscar owns it though. He, I, I heard um, the thing with Oscar the Grouch, the idea was, oh, this will get kids used to kind of the curmudgeonly people from different cultures and inner cities, you know? Like so, when you have to garbage cans, yeah, you have to live with the angry Polish guy down the street, you know, (laughs) like Sesame Street has taught you to accept them because you love Oscar the Grouch. And I guess part of living in in a you know tight sort of dense New York is just people popping in all the time unexpectedly, and you just have to like deal with their issues. So it's a pretty decent representation of that. And if the 2011 poo had been more successful, you know, the next one could be like Eeyore gets some MDMA. That could be a cool movie. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> well, shut Eeyore's up. already into like body modification a little bit. Oh uh, yeah. Well, well, he's more into prosthetics, right? He's lost part of himself. So. <laughs> but and actually, that so this was uh, again. I, I kind of like just analyzing the flaws in the rules set by the stories themselves. Cause it's one of the hardest things to do when you're writing and making a story is to create some kind of unique set of laws, but then never break those laws. So this one was just interesting to me because at the very beginning of the, the 77 movie, they're nailing uh, a little spike into Eeyore's ass, right. To put the tail on. And this, it's like no one mentions anything about it, but it's clearly not hurting him at all. In the 2011 movie, Pooh reaches up and the threads just burst open on his stomach and the stuffing comes out a little bit and he kind of like stitches himself back up. So clearly they they don't feel pain even when they go through horrible things that would, you know, that would end either of our lives or at least put us in, into a great deal of agony, right? Uh, especially that latter one. Maybe they so choose there, there's to this feel. Part, well, they're, okay, yeah, they choose when to feel. But, but there's obviously... Uh, a baseline here where they're stuffed animals. They can't necessarily feel the same amount of pain as we can yet. They're um, afraid of bees and getting stung by bees. And they're afraid of, you know, these hypothetical monsters, but just wondering what is that really at stake here? Is anyone at stake of dying? I mean, that the scariest thing that happens in the 77 movie, which I'm I am absolutely positive that I had nightmares about this scene when I was a kid but they go up into Owl's house and it's just like swaying like crazy. And to this day, I have nightmares as a four, as a 40 year old man, I have nightmares about being in a house that's like five or six stories. And there's like a, a strong breeze and the whole house starts to shake. And I'm just, you know, terrified of my house 
uh, just smashing against the ground and me getting hurt in the process. And when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, that's what did that to me. <laughs> oh, I lived your nightmare. Okay. Uh, the 2011 quake in Japan, I was on the sixth floor teaching, get, teaching a class. <laughs> And the buildings are built to sway, and it was a strong quake, right? So I'm like, well, oh, the road's coming closer. The road's going farther away. We're in the sixth floor. I'm holding the board to the wall because it's just like banging up and down on the wall. So that, yeah, yeah was, that's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. I think I, I, my social media quip once I had the internet again after that was, you know, it's just like the earthquake ride. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that the earthquake ride is pretty lame. Oh, okay, maybe it's better. Well, I was in a classroom, right? So there, that's a lameness to that. <laughs> I guess I don't know, but you didn't have the extra ambiance of like screaming children, or or is everyone just so well behaved that you didn't even notice that? Oh, oh, there I was had an earthquake. I had one twenty-four-year-old ballerina. <laughs> so no, no problems there. <laughs> what kind of classes are you teaching? Oh, this was just English class. It was just it was um, middle of the afternoon, so that you know this was when I taught adults, so the usually the okay. evening classes were the much busier ones. So might have even been a private lesson. I don't remember. But uh yeah. <laughs> I would say if you if you're gonna die in the quake or this yeah. So you're actually going over lesson people. plans during this or was it I, was... Yeah, I, sp I spent the first minute of the earthquake still trying to assign some homework because it was just a little <laughs> shaken. And then it got like wild crazy after that. So the first minute was just like kind of a low rumble. And then it started getting more jer herky jerky. I mean, I guess, I guess you haven't lived in any earthquake lands. No, no, no. I, we just have hurricanes, but yeah, earthquake is, is seems terrifying because the ground. I mean, aside from things smashing and falling, but the ground can just open up and swallow you, and you're just inside the earth at this point. Liquefaction, yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, that's if you believe in the molten core. <laughs> Now, now they want to say there's two cores, which I like that idea. That's exciting. That doesn't make sense to me at all. So I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like flat Earth logic, right? Oh, that's new. That's cool. Yeah, no, this I think this is the uh, this is like from academia saying that. So, yeah, so but I don't two know. Core? Was it a, a core within a core? Are we talking about like a binary Stark situation? I didn't look into it deep enough. I'm pretty sure it's core within a core. But I was I wanted I was thinking of a binary star at the center of the Earth. You know inner earth i, I prefer that style. if we're gonna go all the way out there i'd rather have a binary star sort of situation because a core within a core just sounds like a core with an extra step i mean at this point isn't it scientifically even reasonable to be like yeah there's probably like a black star uh somewhere pairing our sun at this point we're that just god's Nibiru. fingernail man <laughs> <laughs> so oh there we go that's the other trope with this the Zenapu. Who doesn't care that we're just God's fingernail? He's uh pretty in the moment most of the time. I mean, he's obsessed, but <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's he's uh an interesting paradox because on one hand, there's this like Tao of Poo where he can just be satisfied by the the most simple of things, just being out in nature and being with friends and just you know the pursuit of honey, and that if you could just please yourself with like the simple attainable you know pleasures of your life this is sort of like this taoist outlook on a very superficial level because on the other side of that level is a person that, that gives into every sort of whim um that doesn't really have any self-restraint that puts himself and others into extreme danger constantly 
So he's also sort of like the the bad side of this. And then if you want to get into like a, a Gnostic clown grid, <laughs> well, I wouldn't call him the trickster as much as some of the other characters. Yeah. Um, maybe in like the term like Mr. Magoo, he's kind of like a Magoo trickster, I guess, where he unintentionally uh, becomes a catalyst for a storyline. But but also in like the Gnostic angle here, he's kind of the demiurge. If if you don't put that on Christopher Robin, yeah, and you put, put that on, on Winnie the Pooh, because Pooh is the one that is basically just always in the pursuit of these quick material, short term, you know, like gratification schemes. And that's sort of that like ultimate flaw of the demiurge where you think it's this this perfect, you know, sphere. You think it's this platonic solid, but it's really kind of this ugly bumpy you know um sort of imperfect ball i mean that could be the the demiurge aspect of christopher robin projected because you know i know i know when i was a kid and have several toys to play with there's there's the one where you're kind of like oh that one's where i'm projecting most of my personality so may, maybe may, christopher I, robin there's actually part gets of that in extreme I, danger a lot <laughs> i think i would put christopher robin more into the the antichrist category <laughs> Because he ends up becoming this uh, this sort of like figure that they all follow, and he's not necessarily without fault, but he just happens to be kind of superior to all of them. So they look at him like a god, but you know, his if anything, like his parents are like the actual god of the, the parents. That would be the real god. So he he kind of serves as a placeholder for that real god because these silly stuffed animals don't have the intellectual capacity to understand the concept of a real God. So he's that stand in. So in, in that case, he could be the Demiurge, but I think he also could be the Antichrist. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I could sit here and argue more on the Demiurge angle, but you're, I think you win the argument with the simple sound of the sentence. Christopher Robin is the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> that right there just kind of wins it. I think <laughs> I don't want I don't want to argue that statement. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I couldn't. What are some words that I also had a note here that the beginning of the the movie, the 1977 movie, where he basically is getting stung by hundreds of bees or potentially that for some reason reminded me of the movie My Girl. That's kind of how My Girl ended up too. But Macaulay Culkin wasn't as friendly and bumbly as just you know Winnie the Pooh was. I think he ends up dying and it becomes very sad after that. But it's essentially the exact same plot line. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Oh, uh, even before that, we have that bit of live action that Disney earlier Disney movies love to throw in, right? Um, and seeing the stuffed poo, uh, growing up, d does this make any sense to you? A uh, beer and cigarettes bear? No. Okay, like you're visiting a, when you're a child in the '80s, you're visiting a friend's house, and it's maybe like where the parents like party a little more, so it's got the shag carving with the the cigarettes caked in and, and that kind of fur on the kind of matted fur on a stuffed bear like just takes okay on I have, i've never heard of beer and cigarettes bear permanent in beer and cigarette before. smell yeah so you have like a i mean i don't even say the parents are horrible just so you know they like to party a bit right and the kids got the bear and it smells like beer and cigarettes i just remember that happening like multiple maybe it's because i grew maybe it's because i grew up in the south but <laughs> It's that's kind of funny too because the original Winnie the Pooh from the the stories before it turned into animation, they described that bear as being so raggedy that even the initial illustrations 
uh, for the book, they were like, let's let's make it look a little bit nicer than the way that it was originally described. And then Disney improves on that a little bit more even to where it's, you know, it's kind of like a clean bear. It's not like um, sort of the, the Scarlet Rabbit or whatever, whatever it was called. Well, it's like interestingly in the park, they in the parks, which we mentioned a little before, they've, they've already cleaned them up some more because the fur on, you know, walk around poo is very fine and and short. Right. Where if you hug Chewbacca, you know, Chewbacca, and Chewbacca will hug you. Um, he's going to smell funny because he's got all that matted fur. Well, and he's been out in space, man. He's a he's a fighter, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking the practical walk around situation, the fur on them, you know, like Chewbacca's got like the real poo fur, you know, he's w- walking around in his poo suit, as as I was saying before, but now meaning it the other way. <laughs> I'm actually somewhat convinced that that might be the real Chewbacca and Disney has enslaved an entire race of actual alien beings and forcing them to work for entertainment purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why the Wookiees are so angry, right? <laughs> <laughs> They've been enslaved by by frozen head Walt. <laughs> oh yeah, I, when Pooh comes into um, is it Rabbit's house and just eats everything in the universe. I, I was like, Rabbit invited him in, so I guess Pooh's a bit of a food vampire, a honey vampire. Is he? You got to invite him in before he'll drain you of your honey. <laughs> it it seems like everyone would keep this locked up because he's. You know, clearly they have a small social circle. So if someone knocks on the door, it's like one of five people guaranteed, right? And one of those people is just going to walk in and eat all of the honey in the house. So I don't know. It just seems like they would have an intervention at some point. That would be an interesting movie, actually, like Pooh's intervention. Or, you know, Pooh discovers he's got type 2 diabetes and he can no longer consume, you know, high levels of sugar anymore. That could be the same movie where ER takes MDMA then. Pair him (laughs) up, you know, there's a B-plot. (laughs) <laughs> i mean he comes just... out he's in, he's in uh, favor of stevia he gets all like super new agey about it yeah i mean uh you might see in my notes i mean you just eat the bees that's what we do here in nagano i mean it's not a popular food but you can find it in all at the souvenir shops it's hachinoko which is um candied bee larva <laughs> uh okay i, I mean Sure. <laughs> Does it have to be bee larva? I assume that once you candy it, it could be any sort of larva. But also, now that it's candied, you could also just eat sugar and then like skip the larva part, and it's sorry, nutritionally sorry, not, similar. No, not not. Sorry, I shouldn't say candy. Not like a candied apple. More of like a soy okay. glaze, I think. In there. So honestly, I haven't tried okay, Hachinoko. Okay. I have tried Inago, which is um soy covered locust. So <laughs> how know, big are I... these locusts we're talking about? because i've seen some beefy locusts uh these would be grasshopper size okay okay so but um you know just got to prepare for when we're all eating insects so (laughs) no this was actually um when again this is back when my daughter was like two and a half or and we we went to the kind of a countryside restaurant and they brought out like service you know like the little extra free things um and I'm like, are they are they fucking with me? Because <laughs> it's a little bit of a intimidating group. But then on the other, I ate one, right? But then on the other hand, my daughter, two and a half of the time, sitting there chowing down on them. I'm like, this feels like a David Lynch movie or something. <laughs> Before she knew what they were, or or didn't yeah, she, matter. Yeah, she's she's a almost fourteen year old junior high student now. She won't eat it now. <laughs> yeah. You know, a teenage girl is not going to sit. I don't know. Actually, in Japan, and it's not completely out of a question. A teenage girl is going to um, 
be eating some some hot uh, hachinoko or inago so oh you heard that klaus schwab you're you're making progress all across the world <laughs> what we're, i haven't found yet and what i want to see is is the japanese um junior high or high school girl that is just obsessed with sumo wrestlers and has like you know posters of sumo wrestlers in her locker and all that sort of stuff that, that i haven't seen this yet and i want to see that so our our sumo i mean i'm just going to make a, a broad assumption that i'm almost guaranteed to be wrong on but i kind of assume that sumo wrestling would almost be like wild western shooting in america where like it's a very specific demographic holding on to like a traditional past but that it's maybe not as big mainstream or is sumo wrestling big mainstream? Um, I would say both. All the OG sons. Remember, Japan's a very aging population. And a lot of the old people are still straight up for sumo. Um, I see a fair amount of sumo because uh, the way it works is they have six. I don't six, seven. Sumo basically works as they have like two week competitions in a different city each time. So there's one of the sumo stadium in tokyo and then there's one in osaka maybe like a month or two later usually based around one of the national holidays so um before the news uh the nhk news you know if you're having dinner and you're a little early you're going to see the last few sumo matches so okay uh, that's actually kind of cool man no i like watching it um it's, and it's funny because a lot of sumo matches it's all it maybe it's right where you're talking about the wild west buildup because they they kind of look at your uh, you know scrape around go then turn around put salt on you know throw some salt around come back and um the match itself is often two seconds the other guy just shoves the other dude out when a match takes longer it's like 30 seconds maybe even two minutes in the rare case it just looks like they're hugging it out for a while for the most part yeah <laughs> <laughs> But the crowd's just cheering as these two very large men are hugging it out, you know? I want to see a UFC version of sumo wrestling. But that won't work, though, because the sumo wrestlers, when they're sumo wrestling, they're part of the sumo stable. They live relatively ascetic lives as a sumo wrestler. You know, they don't take sponsorships until they've retired. No, they need someone to shake it up, man. They need someone to go in there and Hollywood it up. <laughs> They'd send Joe Rogan over to sumo wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rogan? No, I'm talking about like Randy Man Savage. Oh, you want some? You want some? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm thinking of someone who's actually. Those guys aren't physically capable of doing that anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, but you just said yourself, right? It's it's a two to a thirty second experience. I can I can guarantee the WCW can put together an entertaining two to thirty second experience. But you, um, you slap I, some ultimate warrior paint on a sumo wrestler <laughs> and tell me that that's not going to sell shirts. Yeah. Anyway, the reason this doesn't happen besides all of the tradition is that there's this actually does have a religious ish kind of, I mean, religion's like a different word in Japan, you know, but um, it technically when sumo wrestlers are fighting, it's two mountains battling and each mountain has a God. So they've built themselves into like mountain gods and now they're battling each other. So that, that's one of the reasons. Sounds right for cults. Sounds like you could easily go from being a sumo wrestler to a cult leader. Um, I'm thinking, I mean, after I retire, I mean, I don't, I don't, people aren't like actually worshiping them. And that's just the metaphor for what they're doing. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, it's because they want to spin that for them, man. Right, right. But, you know, again, religion in Japan is just kind of like a different beast. Like everyone goes and gets like a, fortune or whatever at new year's and praise the shrine or you know just claps their hands and bows and, and walks away right uh that's usually it 
I mean, there's no priest telling you anything in these cases. You're just going. Well, it's the only way to get home from Oz. I thought that that's like the exact formula. I mean, I spend a lot of time meditating at temples. Which does that make me extremely religious in Japan? I'm not sure. I'm just there because it's a nice spot, you know. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, on the and plus I, side, and I think. Well, sorry. Go ahead. On the plus side, what? The only fundamentalists I've run into Japan in Japan are Christians, <laughs> which is maybe like two percent of the population. <laughs> That would be interesting back back in the minority, make them feel like they've got an uphill battle to, to fight. South Korea is weird. I think South Korea is something like 50% Christian. Like maybe it's the American influence or whatever from after Korea, the Korean War. I, I don't know. But yeah, they have a lot of Christians in um, Korea. So I live in Atlanta, which has a lot of Korean Im- immigration. And uh and that tended to be the more, you know, they're coming to America that tended to be the more religious people. So it's kind of, kind of weird. <laughs> well, it's, it's only somewhat weird, but there's a, a huge political aspect to that, right? Because whenever there's a communist nation, Americans love to flood it with missionaries uh, because it's almost like, because not only is there the communist versus capitalist dynamic, but then there's the communist atheist slash religious dynamic. So especially evangelists they see that as like a vacuum that needs to be filled immediately so they pump missionaries into anywhere that looks like it might kind of be leaning that way so i, f- I feel like that's a huge component to the south korea since you know it's so close to north those those horrible atheistic <laughs> communistic heathens in north korea right yeah and it's been pl- uh political in japan too because uh you know former prime minister abe was assassinated last year the guy that shot him said it's because um, his mother was taken, you know, basically destroyed by the Unification Church, which is backing many Japanese politicians now, including Abe. So it's an assassination. Don't kill anybody is, I think, a really good rule of thumb in life. But I'm like, actually, what he achieved his goal, because it's now a major political issue, how much this Korea, this uh, Unification Church, which is based in Korea, has influence on Japanese politics is like a major issue now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's problematic, but let's just agree that, you know, high-level political assassination is extremely effective in delivering messages. It's just I feel like this is one of the like we're, I mean we're the not guys advocating for it. We're just acknowledging that it is extremely potent. <laughs> well, I'm just like when um what's his name shot reagan you know jody foster was not impressed right uh, <laughs> whereas this guy i mean he's in prison now he's probably never coming out they've had him under psychological evaluation for for like four months who knows what that means <laughs> so um but he did achieve his goal i guess if he's going to pay the piper <laughs> of consequences so anyway that's how do we get so to that? wrap this back into that. poo yeah how do we get there <laughs> Well, I, th- I think at least Pooh would definitely be the sumo wrestler winner of this whole crew. I don't think anyone's pushing Pooh out of a ring. How about Eeyore? <laughs> or does he just not have the um, the drive? He doesn't have the motivation. Yeah, he would just be like, yeah, oh, oh well. Push me yeah, out. I'm out of the ring this. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, what, what other... Oh, yeah, I, I guess Tigger's kind of weird in that Tigger was not a character in the original short because these shorts were produced... I, the wiki didn't actually list the specific year, so I'm just going to spit guess. It was something like 62, 67, 75. Those are spit guesses. Um, <laughs> like, uh, 
Yeah, none of those dates are jibing. I feel uncomfortable saying and hearing the word Tigger, especially the way that they use it in the 1977 movie. Um, but it he just seems like an unpleasant person. And I think even in the original, you watch this and it and he almost seems like the guy that's gonna come and just destroy stuff. Like he's he's almost like the the crazy drunk or like someone that is the maniac that you know needs oh, to I... be contained somehow. I figured out exactly who he reminds me of. Um, of course, Tigger would be the first because Tigger's the only one. But uh, Stevo. Um, <laughs> no, oh yeah, there's a fun one. No, I was thinking of Star Trek Voyager and Neelix. Tigger is a Neelix. <laughs> I can kind of see that. It's it's a very niche reference. But... It is, but I'm just I'm watching Voyager now. So I, maybe because they're both kind of orangey too. I don't know. They got spots. So <laughs> that said. And- in the Honey Hunt ride you watch, the Tigger segment's fantastic because that's where they bounce your ride vehicles around. On a I saw that. I, I could see floor. what was happening, but obviously from the video, you don't get the experience. But yeah, that's that's where that 6D comes in, where they have all that cool stuff that you can't usually do on the, the track rides as easily. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was like, I mean, Rabbit, why Rabbit back down on the on Tigger? He, he's kind of right. He's like, just own it, man. You've already done, you, you've passed the veil already. Don't pull back now. <laughs> I find Rabbit to be the most relatable out of all of these characters by just, far. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's the surrogate for C Rob's parents or something, you know? <laughs> A little bit. Although I don't see Christopher Robin uh, following orders from any of these animals. And, and also, Winnie the Pooh is a stuffed animal. Piglet is a stuffed animal. Eeyore is a stuffed animal. What the hell is Rabbit? Is Rabbit a stuffed animal? What about think- Owl? Are they are they all stuffed animals? Because they don't all exhibit the same sort of you know visual cues. Oh, I was very easily on. They're all stuffed animals, I guess, because they're they you know they've been slightly altered. We see that from the live action footage that we're seeing this animated realization of these of these stuffed toys. So. Yes. I guess although but there's there's a difference between seeing Winnie the Pooh's stomach open up and not being too shocked but if I saw something like that happen to Rabbit it just feels like it would have been a little bit more visceral because mm. they don't really portray Rabbit and Owl like for example Owl like what if someone like ripped his wing off is it just like oh haha it's just stuffing we'll sew it back on it just if they feel more real if they're portrayed more like actual animals than some of the other characters like imagine someone nailing a big spike into the back of Owl I guess that's what the next movie's for. I, although it was not out. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, he, okay. Sorry. Here's a better. Here's a less niche Tigger. No, still kind of niche. But what is a Tigger? Could be like a Poochie if we're not careful. You know, Poochie died on the way home to his home planet. That's right. Oh, that. That's why. That's why I was thinking last night. I was because Tigger is so much like I'm the only one and proud of it. So I was thinking maybe he's like Lobo, where he murdered. His all the citizens of his original planet, inhabitants of his original planet. I, okay, I kind of like this. I can definitely <laughs> feel some Lobo energy coming off Tigger because <laughs> he was so obsessed with being the only one that he just killed everyone else of his kind. Because because he actually says it's so interesting in this original movie, Tigger isn't just his name; it's what he is. Like a Tigger is whatever that species or animal type you know is but it's also his name so i think maybe he just wanted to own the entire species he just wanted to become like the uber the uber mensch uber tigger (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I like that. You know, I haven't seen the Tigger movie yet, so maybe that's what that's about. So um. <laughs> it's just, it's just wholesale slaughter of an entire race of Tiggers. <laughs> See, that's that's the problem. I mean, maybe we'll no, we'll get to Blenheim, but but uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Pooh and astral projection first, because as you know, I'm I'm just keyed into these psychedelic sequences, ride and movie. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, let me point out first, because on the way into that psychedelic sequence in the 77 movie, um, this starts out with Pooh getting out of bed and grabbing his gun, which I think needs to be in every single Pooh adaptation at this point. It's clearly not anymore. I I was looking for the gun in the 2011 remake. There was no gun. Um, but in a lot of the other earlier ones, there was a Russian version of Winnie the Pooh, too, called called Vinnie Vu or some something like that. And there was prominent use of a gun in that one, too. So people I'm on jacked. board. I, I think there needs to be more of them. People get jacked in the Hundred Acre Woods. It's it's uh, you know, it's a low down bad part of town, <laughs> right? <laughs> so people losing houses left and right. But I, I guess the, the, the biggest thought I have, even eclipsing my uh, my Dumbo flashbacks is you saw the, the ride effect on video. And that live is just amazing because. Uh, in the ride, you see Pooh just as in the movie, sitting down in his house and falling asleep, and then you know they have like a Pepper's Ghost version of him come up in the entire room. Yeah, it's it's so cool because there's like a 3D. Uh, even in the '77 movie, there's like this 3D effect where they clearly drew, you know, like rotated an actual bear and drew it in all these different positions because he's kind of like hovering in space and rotating. And the the ride itself couldn't quite illustrate it for you, but you it's a like almost a three sixty thing. I think the door to the Tigger room still in the back, like it doesn't close or anything. But otherwise, the entire room has been turned into space, which is pretty pretty awesome. Um, yeah, Tokyo has some cool effects. I mean, I'm sure some of the newer stuff even eclipses that. But so I mean, I'm I'm somewhat convinced that this entire scene was a love letter to the Dumbo drunken scene. Um, but I don't have any like specific evidence or research that backs up specifically why they added this scene. But it it just felt so out of left field. Like, oh, all of a sudden there's this cool dream sequence that like someone took a, a hit of acid and now we're watching that in this otherwise very unassuming Winnie the Pooh movie. Yeah, my well, I wrote Woozles or Psychedelic, and then just are we reusing Dumbo animatics? I'm fully cool with that. Uh, that's, yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, again, I don't know if you could see us in the ride video, but in, when you go in that psychedelic room in the ride, um, there's about four ride vehicles with guests, but there's another two or three that just have like Huffalumps and Woozles in them. So you're riding around and then you go by another <laughs> ride vehicle that has like these insane creatures in it. So and <laughs> it's trackless. So you don't know where they're going, where you're going or yeah, it's, it's a, and it shows you different um, scenes. So if you ride it twice, you'll see slightly different scenes as, or at least in a slightly different order. So that's pretty cool. It's always nice to randomize your rides. That's that's the dream, man. I remember when I was working at Disney, that was the big thing is everyone was trying to move to like there was these different phases. So that's kind of like one of the initial phases. The the later phases that they probably push out once they got all the money and the research done is that it's fully customizable to where they know what type of rider you are. And since that you can have, you know, you can be put with other riders that want that experience and you don't even have to tell anyone what your preference is. They'll just be able to figure it out based on how often you go to certain rides and just stupid little surveys um, to where now it's not just random each time. It's custom tailored and random each time. 
of course, they're now more and more they're making you work for the rides, right? You know, Buzz Lightyear, Astro Blasters, you got a it's a shooting gallery. Toy Story Mania like ups it up a bit, and uh, Spider Man Web Slingers in, in California. And I've heard this about, uh, of course, Universal, but the uh, Mario Kart ride. I've heard of those rides being kind of stressful because you have well, they, to. They do gamify them, so man. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they gamify them because they want to give you an incentive to go back and try and ride it four or five times in a day. But I did hear, especially on Mario Kart, which opened in uh, California a few months ago, that, you know, some people are like, well, you know what? If you just take the helmet off and look at the ride scenes, that's kind of nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you have all this, you know, like augmented reality crap in your face and, you know, you can't even appreciate what's out there. That's what I've heard. Haven't done it myself. I might love it. Um, So, but I am like in a ride. I Yeah, I want to sit back like in the honey hunt. Maybe the event sequence of events is slightly different. That's why Florida's Mr. Toad was so popular, right? Because it had the two tracks that were different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know where I was heading for that. But yeah, I like I love the randomization of that scene, and and that kind of I think helps to recreate the Dumboish vibe we get in the movie because it's unpredictable and the ride's unpredictable in the movie. They should have their own ride. Seriously, they, there should just be a drunk Dumbo elephant ride. <laughs> you know, the fan it's the Fantasia elephants, it's the Dumbo elephants, it's the Winnie the Pooh elephants, but they just need their own and like hidden pink elephants. And if you find them in the park, they give you like a free hit of MDMA or something cool. Yeah, I'm looking for one more note. There were there was um speaking of psychedelia, there was I think it was somewhere near the end where Pooh just starts adopting like a very like LSD inspired, you know, um right at the end. Uh I guess when they're trying to get Tigger out of the tree, he just seems to be functioning on like LSD logic. <laughs> He's become enlightened, man. That's that Tao aspect. Okay, I guess that. And I also thought at that point is 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 Kanga a nudist? Because Rue wears clothes, but Kanga does not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's just how the toys came, but uh, yeah. I also I, I feel embarrassed about this, but I never really quite. <laughs> put two and two together of Kanga and Rue. Kanga always sounded like such a weird exotic name to me. I, I I know I'm probably outing myself as probably having like four brain cells that just randomly bump into each other sometimes. Um, but but that it formed the word kangaroo. I only realized that on my watch through when I was doing this for our show here, making notes. Well, it's like how I didn't actually work out Cruella Deville until like we watched 101 Dalmatians, and I was like, "Oh okay, my god, fair really? point." Yeah, we're so. we're even now because <laughs> I never put Kanga and Rue together. Yeah, yeah, I, I I got that one, but yeah, I was kicking myself on. I was like, "Oh, it's it's they didn't even really spell it, change the spelling much." Okay, <laughs> and and also I'm sure this has been pointed out at infant, you know, like by plenty and plenty of different articles but it was interesting to me that tigger says ttfn he like abbreviates it so he's kind of like one of the originators of that really annoying online uh you know abbreviated speech him and elvis tcb taking care of business yeah. <laughs> with the lightning bolt yeah <laughs> so that I, that's what it made me think of though especially since the movie well yeah yeah, yeah. tigger segments definitely from the 70s so um Again, I was spit guessing when they made these, but I know it was a two of them were the sixties and the last one was the seventies, I think. Why doesn't Wiki give you that information? You think it would. <laughs> you gotta look up the shorts themselves. Um yeah, this is this is technically an anthology movie. I guess it, it got a little bit of a theatrical release, but this is 
I mean, this would have been straight to video a decade later, you know? Yeah, this this movie in particular, it, it definitely they even sort of joke halfway in. Um, they're like, and then from pages 40 to 70, there's just like a bunch of words and a bunch of boring stuff happens. And it's like, you're describing the movie here. You're, you're giving <laughs> away the plot. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of funny when the movie makes a self a reference to how boring the movie uh, would be if they just followed the book. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I, and I thought the 2011 one did a nice job of kind of upping the book game as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So and they, they also the, the narrator talks directly to Pooh a little bit more, but then like they use the book to like wiggle him out of bed. And yeah, I love the dynamic but behind that. And also there was something really cool in the intro of the 77 movie. They have this isometric look to the credits where they kind of show this very fictionalized, simplified um overview of where they live. Um and like as they show each person, they kind of have their each little spot in the map. And when they redid the 2011 intro credit scene, it looked almost identical to that. It had that same sort of isometric feel where all these characters are like standing on top of a map. And I, I love that. I thought it was like a really cool way to pay homage to that original one. Yeah, I guess one thing we're finding is uh, 70s Disney just owned the credit sequences. <laughs> yeah, it's very true, man. I, th I think uh, there was like a certain art to it because before this, it originally started out on the page turns, which was interesting for the first couple, but I'm glad that they didn't just like keep that particular motif going for every single movie. And then some of them, they just completely dialed in. It would just be, here's a still frame of a character followed by two or three sheets of credits, and then they swap it out. So I, I like it when they do something a little interesting. Um, you know, maybe I, I guess I'm one of those people that that really liked all of the Simpsons intros. Like I like seeing a little bit of variety, but also having like consistency to it. Yeah. I, I wonder if Disney was kind of affected by, you know, some of the 60s stuff like like the Pink Panther movies, which would have the ornately animated credits and they have kind of have to respond to that sort of thing. Cause... Yeah. If, if you're Disney, you kind of always have to stay one step ahead of whatever anyone else is doing animation wise. And then when someone, you know, leapfrogs you, that's when they have to you know flip out a touch, I guess. <laughs> that's when you gotta, um, you gotta thaw out Walt's head and, and, uh, and ask him for advice. So I guess we'll move on to a bit of the blood and the honey while, while we're doing this. Uh, you, I, basically came in expecting a dumpster fire to start out with i guess uh so i i was not disappointed i can say i guess where you, you sound like you were more disappointed what, what were yeah, you looking it's, for it's not well it's not that i was looking for something great it was just that i really thought it, it would have been a little bit more than just the title and the subtitle like if, if you read the title of the movie and the subtitle and like maybe the the summary you've seen the entire movie and the rest of it is just like a fat guy with a, a decent mask on. I feel like all of the money in this movie maybe went to some of the masks and nowhere else. And then there's just a bunch of weird honey scenes. And as usual, I watch I watch a lot of movies at like one and a half speed. So it's a little bit faster. And there were some scenes that I knew were supposed to be like the scary scenes and it just looks so kind of silly and like, uh, I mean, I guess maybe at normal speed, it probably looked just as silly. Yeah, for me, it was like the 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 basic idea is genius. Oh, it's public domain now. Genius idea. Execution, not not so great. Well, uh, wait, when we say genius idea, to me, the genius part is take a well-known children's IP and just make it an R-rated movie and then figure out all the details once you've got that in motion. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that okay. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the good part. The execution, <laughs> like as far as like everything else, except for as you mentioned, I I did actually like the uh, suits quite well. So. The, the suits were better than they they deserve to be. <laughs> the nice dead eyes in there. I, I yeah, that if if there is something from this that will stick with me, it'll definitely be those. They can only afford two suits, apparently, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they ate Eeyore. Okay, so you won't get Eeyore. Eh, Tigger, he doesn't factor in because he's not. Actually, I guess he is Disney, isn't he? So you can't put Tigger in at all. <laughs> Even but, and just to be clear, too, the mask was like not articulated. So if if you saw the mask, you were seeing a mask. But at no point are, does like the mask emote anything substantial. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, a dead a dead mask sitting on someone's head. The 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 place where they kneecapped themselves with this movie, I think with this one change, this would be a lot more fun, is they have, okay, they, they kill and eat Eeyore because Christopher Robin has left them and they don't have food. They decide not to talk anymore because that's what the humans do. No, you don't need to do that. I mean, how much better would this movie be if Pooh just got some kill lines after each shot, you know, he... he right, but now we're getting back head. into the head was not articulated. So I think, if anything, that plot line followed a functional limitation of the masks. Of course they can't talk, and now we have to explain why they can't talk, and we can't say because we couldn't afford a mask that can articulate speech, so they had to just say, oh, we don't talk anymore because humans do it. There, we just saved ourselves $100,000 in uh, prosthetics. We just shoot him from the back. He kills him, then have a shot from the back. And <laughs> I guess, hear, yeah. Oh, bother. You know? <laughs> like, that's That would have, like, just that, everything in that else in the movie, not good, but could be the same. And just that. And or yeah. people, oh, oh, what did I just do? And there's, like, a pool of blood going all over the place. That... I mean, I guess you can't like copy the Disney voices because maybe that is their IP, but you could have a cute voice, right? So right. <laughs> just that would have made this mo- like would have made this so much more fun. Because what what? Okay, my favorite. Horror- I guess it would have been like throwing a sprinkle on a shit Sunday, though. Yeah, it's it's my favorite horror is Elm Street because you know Freddy's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, um, and we were, I was just talking this on another podcast. Um, uh, yesterday actually where Wes Craven when people would re- call Freddy Krueger a child molester he'd be like no Freddy would never molest a child he only kills them <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, and also it's it's almost like oh yeah this movie could have been good if Wes Craven directed it well of course <laughs> you know what I mean like almost anything that Wes Craven touches could become you know potentially extremely entertaining I've seen some bad Wes Craven um, but- okay uh, There's I mean, always one, exceptions because <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest uh, points of contention from the original Nightmare on Elm Street people with the remake was no, he's now a molester. No, that's not cool. So, also that one wasn't good. But yeah, how <laughs> how dare you ruin off this this horrible murderer that uh, murders children in their dreams? Now he's doing other things too. This is unacceptable. Have you seen the uh, horror Hall of Fame specials from the early nineties? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. No, it doesn't sound. I think, familiar. I think they only did it two or three years. And the first one, it had like a almost dead Vincent Price making an appearance and stuff. But it's a uh, Robert England, um, out of cost, like Robert England, not Freddy Krueger, is the mm. host, and he's just such a dork, like an endearing dork. But <laughs> it's just funny because he's such a dork, you know, a film dork, and uh, it's it's it it great. I mean, it was, it was fun watching him, but it's, it's just a weird disconnect. But uh, yeah, where they're you know giving. 
awards to Dracula and stuff and having musical numbers. It's a very bizarre show. So <laughs> I wish there were more. I, I really do wish that there were more Freddy Krueger type movies today. I think every once in a while, there'll be like one that touches on that vein. But, you know, J- Jason had how many movies uh, and there were a lot of Freddy Krueger movies. I just I kind of wish that reboot had still been going. And, uh, you know, honestly, a Wes Craven version of this, maybe that that could be the next thing is that we get some big budget horror producers that just jump onto expired IPs and like you can just look forward to that like what are the what are the companies i think one of them's called asylum films asylum, where, yeah yeah so like snake on a plane comes out and they've got like snakes on a train and and you know snakes on a plane but it's like a, a two-dimensional plane right it takes place in like a different universe <laughs> and all and like like the transformers will come out so they'll come out with like trans bots and all sorts of cool stuff like that yeah, tra- sorry, transmorphers. How dare I miss that? <laughs> I, I have I have sometimes got a weird urge to um get into watch a few mockbusters. I'd have to do it for a podcast. I couldn't, you know, like Blood and Honey. I wasn't gonna watch it unless uh, I, was, I was gonna podcast it. That's why also I have to watch Human Centipede two in a month <laughs> or so. Again, man, the first one is not a bad movie. I, I don't I don't remember as much from the second one. I know I've seen it, but I think it was just. I was expecting them to up the ante more, but I guess you can't up the ante too much <laughs> from the first one. There's not you haven't given yourself a lot of room to move from there. Yeah, yeah. So like, oh, we're gonna sew twenty people together. Like, all right, it's it's still you know just as bad with three. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll 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 see where that gets me later. So. <laughs> Next week is uh what what I have to watch now ballistic X versus sever. Well yeah. now a human centipede combined with Winnie the Pooh is an IP I think that would have made better waves than Blood and Honey. Well, I kept ab- accidentally saying the the human caterpillar, so now I'm like, oh, the very hungry human caterpillar could be a cool <laughs> could be a cool one of these. I, I guess this is a new genre. That's an asylum like, film waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weird weird IP public domain horror films unfortunately the guy that made this film i think because this one's reasonably successful enough he can make more so i think he's the guy that's going to keep doing this i mean that might not be bad though because there was clearly a budget issue with this one and that it probably paid off and made profit means that maybe that maybe that gumption can like turn into the next big one maybe he will bring you know the human poo maybe whatever he wants to call it yeah, I mean, there are directors whose first movies are just horrible. So, <laughs> I'm like Shyamalan. <clears throat> no, that, that no, that's where isn't that the first one's okay, and the rest of them eat it. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on how much you really. Uh, Signs was not his first movie. I like Signs for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I think his not... first movie was a very like Christian uh, oriented movie. Oh, is that pre Six Sense? Okay, I guess I don't. Yeah, know pre pre Six Sense. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that that maybe that's where we can inhabit this movie. Um, oh, we were talking about what are they in the '77 movie? Here, I'm like, are these crossbreeds, hybrids, genetic deformations? Is is Christopher Robin's father, you know, Doctor Moreau? <laughs> and I don't know why. I guess it was just because of all the other Disney movie backstories. But I had it in my mind, and I was wrong that. Christopher Robin was based on like some horrible tragic tale of like a kid that died young and the parents tried to extend the life through the story. I don't know where that came from. That's not, that wasn't the case with this particular movie. It actually seemed like I didn't dig in super deep, but there was like no 
weird, creepy, hanky panky stuff going on with the uh, the original stories of this book, as far as I could tell. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, because I actually it is nice. I feel like I've yeah I've gotten that vibe before too. There is something of the lungs. Maybe is that Peter Pan? There's some there's something where I have definitely heard that story before. And hey, that would make it uh, it's good own depressing drama, I suppose. Probably an uh, wins Oscar, and I never watch it. That sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> getting right into this, and then yeah, they give that explanation. I, I thought they'd eat Rue first, but I guess he's too small, and Eeyore must have some tasty rump. So tenderized, since they have to keep putting his tail on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then we get that the Hundred Acre Woods is a is apparently four hours in the middle of nowhere. On, on in the UK, which I think if you go four hours in any direction, you're going to be in the ocean by then. But <laughs> I mean, it's just a really slow, smart car. Yeah, yeah. It just it, I was I was like, is it that secluded? Because there is an actual location uh, that the Hundred Acre Woods is based on, and I don't think it's particularly remote. So, <laughs> but you gotta have your horror movie in a remote place. This has to be Camp Silver Lake. Okay, I get it. <laughs> He, yeah, you you yeah. have to make sure that there's no hope of you running away and finding anybody. Crystal Lake. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Okay. Um, I haven't really hardcore Friday the 13th as hard as some people have. Um, then we, yeah, this is almost poor. Watching it, I'm like, his, his, his fiance or whatever, I'm like, is she playing 25 at 35? So I actually looked up their ages, and she was 37, he was... 27 i guess that makes her a cougar good for her um but <laughs> then i had the most much worse thought oh this is the one actor that that wouldn't take her shirt off on film so she just dies this early death straight on <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible it, it was a different standard for sure yeah yeah um this movie has a lot less no color it, it's definitely brown it's a brown movie um i'm not sure if i like just a brown movie <laughs> yeah i mean that's just when you get to the color grading aspect sometimes you just pick a theme and lean in hard and you can use that to compensate for not the greatest shots and maybe not the greatest sort of film or lighting quality um you just kind of like load up your LUT and hope for the best and they definitely did that they leaned into a certain like cinema look and just dialed that thing to 11 Oh, here we go. My, I, I was putting my closest experience to this movie is a few years ago when my parents visited. I drove them out into the, the Japanese woods. We were looking for um, a waterfall and, and our car got accosted by like a bunch of monkeys. So it's kind of cute, oh, but kind of freaky. I, I thought got... that was going to get way darker. I thought you were, were going to drive them out to the woods where people just like never come back out of. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do that with Tigger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, God. That's why I so, thought you mind. Again, this again is another great idea. They could have brought Tigger and left them out in the middle of those. What are, what are those woods called? There's like a like name for them, like the Haunted Woods or something. Oh, the, yeah. The, the, the Misty Woods. I don't know. Um, I think it was just a misty day, though. I think they, it's, the, the woods are not usually haunted. They just were that day. Because <laughs> they were like, I woke up, it was an awfully misty morning, which I, I guess is the the case here as well. Let's see. So, uh, suicide Forest, that's what I was thinking of. They just drop Tigger off in the middle of Suicide Forest and just leave him there. Oh, the one near Mount Fuji? Is that what we're talking? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the one they, they got uh the one of the Paul brothers and all that trouble. Yeah, 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 yeah. I should remember the proper name for it, but I don't. Uh, but yes, that that is 
definitely a thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm having a look here if there's anything. I mean, I'm mostly just like it's I've written generic horror movie notes because I guess we're watching a generic slasher film. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the movie left not a whole lot to take away from. It's like you know exactly what you're getting into by the time 10 minutes goes by and then the rest of it you're just watching it slowly play itself out there's no huge i didn't catch any like big twists or any big plot breaks or any character development it was it was just kind of exactly what you would expect it to be yeah it's got it's got the gore they they at least had some caro syrup budget for this uh i guess it's nice to see some gore that's not just you know in a horror movie that's just I, I think they figured out now don't do this stuff digital by 2023 so not everybody but for the most part i think yeah the digital uh blood splats and the digital sort of spurts yeah practical effects is always going to win me over at least it, it's got to be visceral and gory i mean that's i i haven't seen the thing prequel i guess it's a prequel but um that was the thing they did the practical effects and then the the studio was like no nah, make it digital and they you know, gloss they just went over all of the practical effects with digital effects which you know hopefully that movie gets derezzed someday i guess i don't know maybe it's not good but <laughs> watch the original thing no problem there <laughs> oh no the original would be 1950 you watch the first remake i should say <laughs> a lot of them don't hold up as well as as you always expect them to oh the thing does if you haven't seen the that thing recently. does the original thing well, I never saw that until about a year and a half ago. I, I watched that for, for my old sci-fi podcast, and I was like, oh my god, this movie's good. <laughs> and that It's one got actually, some choice scenes in it. That one was not well-reviewed when it came out, actually. It was thought of as like a, just a dumpster fire of a horror movie, and over the years, slowly, its reputation has become like it's one of the great horror movies. So it, it, it have, we, have we talked about Society before, too? Have what, you seen the movie Society? I think it's 86. No, I don't believe I have. Oh, please, please put this on your, your list of horror movies to watch. <laughs> I don't want to give you any, any extra insight, but it's called Society. And I'm pretty Society. sure it's 86. Okay. And if you like the special effects from the thing, don't set your expectations that high, but to the same level of like body horror and just like okay. abstract stuff. Mm, I mean, I'm not, I do have a, uh, ooh, for body horror, that's probably I'm sitting here dreading the human centipede, probably, but, <laughs> you know, it's it's only funny when it happens to yourself, I guess. <laughs> What's, human centipede? No, body horror. I don't think, uh, I don't think you can do a one-person centipede. Oh, no, no, that, that, it's the snake, the, um, the one, Ouroboros, what's the name? Okay. Yeah, the Ouroboros. Okay, good. That's why I, was, I can never say it. So that right, that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the ooga I, booga. I was on a Zoom meeting yesterday or the day before, uh, with with my coworkers in our place, and and the guys a, little, a few minutes late. So oh, I'll tell you a funny story. And I was, uh, I got up. I had to go restroom a few nights ago at like three thirty. The stumbled. aristocrats. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about to become that. Stumbled over this chair. Stumbled over this chair. And my foot went directly into the CD case, which you can see is now shattered. <laughs> but I still had to go to the restroom. So I have a very, this is like the body horror sitcom where 
I still have to go to the restroom. So I'm like, oh, I can't go downstairs because my foot's bleeding. So I'm like peeing out the window and it made a noise. So <laughs> my, my, wife, my wife walks in as I'm peeing out the window with my foot bleeding out into this chair. <laughs> so I thought that was a funny story. I, I think I left out the peeing out the window part with my coworkers. But, you know, they were like, that sounds traumatic. That's not funny. I'm like, well, I guess it's funny when, it, when you did it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you put that on TikTok, man. You've got yourself an audience immediately. Yeah, probably. Except, uh, yeah, I'm not. They just expect that. a lot more of that, though. Yeah, yeah. You always yeah. have to be upping it, right? You always have to be <laughs> knocking yourself out from the, the previous one. That's how you end up a Stevo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess blood and honey not recommended. Look at some stills of the costumes, and you're good to go. Yeah, look at some stills. Read the the synopsis. And, and if and, you really feel like you need to see all of that in motion, but not any more interesting, then go watch go a for Friday it. a 13th movie. <laughs> it just it just take a Friday a 13th movie and superimpose the, the poo costume over Jason. Re rewatch the worst 1980s horror movie you can find. And it's probably still better than Blood and Honey, at least from a uh, sort of like, you know, a, a merit perspective. Oh, what is the dumpster fire of 80s horror? My first thought goes to Repossessed, but that is a uh, parody film, so I think it doesn't count, which is Leslie Nielsen doing a, a Exorcist parody, and it's terrible. I mean, honestly, I, I liked the horror movies that were trying to be really scary, um, but just didn't deliver 100%. <laughs> One of my favorites is Silent Night, Deadly Night which has already kind of developed a cult following a little bit, but the movie itself is is horrible. It's not a good movie, but it has some amazing practical effects, man. Again, practical effects in a classic horror movie, it's very hard to beat that, even if it looks horrible. Even if we're talking about, like, Toxic Avenger, uh, you know, the first uh, version levels of practical effects, that is still, it holds up so much better than, you know, ones that don't have it. That dude getting hit by the car in RoboCop, nothing better than that. <laughs> Turning into goo, yeah. I mean, that's not quite a horror movie, but the effects certainly right. Um. <laughs> so with, with Mickey becoming um, sort of public domain, or at least certain iterations of Mickey, do you think we can expect a Blood and Honey Mickey Mouse and a Blood and Honey everything else coming out? Yeah, because that's what this guy wants to do. What I would like to see is someone taking, I guess we're talking the uh, early like Steamboat Willie era Mickey Mouse cartoons. Because Mickey's a more of a little stinker in those. So just up it a bit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Aha, I'm a little stinker. And then, you know, just like capping someone's head off or something. <laughs> There's a, a really popular comic. Man, I'm, 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 blanking on the name it's called like air funnies or, or something like that but it was i think it was released in the 70s and they blatantly just ripped off mickey and put him into all these you know very adult situations and Minnie mouse too i think and disney actually had them recalled um and you know sent cease and desist out and everything but you can still find them now and they're worth a a, a lot of money if you can get like the graded ones um i, I want to say it's called air funnies i have to look it up but I, I, I feel like that's what you're describing a little bit. Oh, I don't know if you've ever visited our our Twitter page for uh, Call It Disney, but the um the top features is it is it Wally Wood? Is that the name of the artist who did the like pornographic Disneyland picnic? Yeah, <laughs> that's actually <laughs> yeah, the header air, on our air Twitter pirates. page. 
Air Pirates is the name of the comic series. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, that I thought of admit that not that one specifically, but I thought that vibe, you know, when just putting a bit of artwork on the Twitter page. I was like, yeah. See, it's it's a, it's classic art, right? So <laughs> body art, but what can you do? <laughs> uh speaking of which, I, I guess I'll start talking about that Twitter and stuff unless you wanted to throw something else on on this movie. I mean, like like I was mentioning before, I I have a short short list I can give you, because um, everyone loves to do the the psychological evaluations of all the characters. It's a little bit played out in that regard. So I kind of did like the dark gnostic um, play on everyone. So we already mentioned that Winnie as the the demiurge, demiurge. and we've got Christopher Robin, Christopher is, Robin the Antichrist. is the Antichrist. Clearly, I like saying that. So Piglet represents the concept of fear and manipulation. Uh, because not only does he let his life just be ruled by uh, fear, but he also kind of represents that limitation that it puts on you. And not only by his stature, but the fact that he's codependent on whoever he's with. Um, and then Tigger, as we kind of mentioned, he, in some ways, Winnie the Pooh is guilty of this too, but Tigger is just the absolute representation of hedonism and excess you could just yes. imagine this guy is just in and out of swingers clubs all the time like he's that guy bouncing right? he's, clubs yeah he we have <laughs> bouncing clubs right they're swinging and bouncing can't he, bounce he anymore the, rabbit and he tries just to... his car keys in a bowl immediately he doesn't even ask what kind of club it is <laughs> yeah i was saying a uh, rabbit rabbit is like almost literally trying to castrate him so <laughs> well so so that i mean quite literally because rabbit represents sort of like authoritarianism and like dogmatic beliefs right he's kind of like that old world moral christian that church that wants to sacrifice you or you know castrate you or send you out into the wilderness to teach you your lesson and maybe when you come back you'll just be so traumatized which is clearly his motivation right in the 77 movie it's basically like, we'll take some of that bounce out of his step. You know, we'll just leave him out in the woods. And then he'll have to think about, you know, how horrible we are to him and that his closest friends and family are willing to abandon him and perhaps even let him die in a cold, dark place all alone. And maybe that'll make him being so, you know, stop being so happy all the time. So I, I kind of love that aspect of Rabbit. It just felt like the humanity that I know more than any of the other characters. <laughs> So maybe he's just like the the true like human uh, that's trying to you know sort of codify these rules of the forest. Uh, and then what else? I've got owl is the false knowledge and deception. So if you wanted a trickster, or if you wanted sort of like an evil role here, I do think it's owl because owl presents himself as like the wise old man. He 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 presents as that archetype, but he's not. He doesn't know how to read. And he kind of pretends that he knows how to read. And he also lives in these horrible, dangerous trees. And he gives children lifelong nightmares for 40 years. And I don't, I think he should be stopped. So he's a middle ages Catholic priest, basically. Yeah, I can kind of see that a little bit. <laughs> how many of those guys could really read? <laughs> I bet there were a few that were faking it. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I guess, yeah, Christopher Robin, I really do. I want to, I want to hammer in that he, he kind of plays the unifying force among all the characters, but in doing this, he could be potentially concealing some kind of true intentions. Um, so he also acts as this harbinger of the, uh, the true physical world, but he doesn't necessarily let all of these, um, these stuffed animals know about that. He doesn't let those two worlds interact. So he kind of keeps them to himself. 
So I, you, you could sway me on the Demiurge part, but again, Christopher Robin being the Antichrist sounds way cooler than him being the Demiurge. So I think that that one wins. Oh, just one, one more thing that I will say is nice for Blood and Honey. Uh, the end of Seventy Seven Pooh going to Blood and Honey actually does have like some proper sequel juice. I think, <laughs> <laughs> like tonally, it's a, it's a really fun turn of the key into the next movie. It's just I wish the next movie had been you know somewhat better. I mean, not or, or worse. I mean, maybe maybe it needed to be shittier to really be good. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. Not in this case. In some cases, yeah. maybe, but you know, you know what it is? Like, I, I really do. F- I feel like I've heard someone else say this. So I don't want to take credit, but like the movie, The Room, which is rumored to be like one of the worst movies, but also it's, it's so bad that it's good to watch. And I, I do fall into that camp. I do think that The Room is so bad that it's good. But the reason behind it is because the person making it was so delusional that they thought it really was this amazing, epic, movie and you can feel that insane nervous energy come out in like every scene whereas this one you feel that someone is cashing in a little bit right you feel as you're watching it that feeling of like oh an ip became public domain and someone's cashing in on it and they're just kind of like making money off this and haha it's funny that they're doing this and i get it and you're in on the joke but it lacks someone that that actually spent like 30 years like I'm going to write a horror movie about Winnie the Pooh, like regardless of the IP and, and the legal and like the money making, right. If someone would just sat down and, and they truly wanted to make a horrible horror Winnie the Pooh movie, even if they had zero budget, that would be an amazing watch. I think, you know, what's going to be amazing in 70 years when all that early internet fan fiction can be legally made into films and such, or holograms or whatever we're watching by then. Just take that, you know. Legally, that... I mean, dude, you just you just feed that in the chat GPT in Mid Journey, <laughs> and it'll just pump out a movie for you. You don't got to wait for it to be legal. Yeah, but if you take the the um, Pokemon Matrix mashup that my friend wrote when he was ten years <laughs> old, and and just make that into a real movie, that'd be amazing. Because <laughs> he wrote, he was ten or twelve. It was it, it was very sincere. So, um, yeah, I think he read some of that on a podcast actually. So yeah, when we did the Matrix, he did so. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it could hold up if you took if you took a passionate 10 year old and, you know, gave it a little bit of of treatment to, like, give the cohesion that I'm sure most 10 year olds do not deliver to a feature length story. But you add some of that in there. I think some of the ideas would probably rival some of the, the dumb things that we see in movies now. So an obsessed 10 year old can can make a better blood and honey, which might be correct. Hey, look, them 12. They need to be able to at least go out without their parents to do it properly. <laughs> Um, I guess I do need to wrap this one up, so I'll go ahead and do the deets real quick. Uh, this is a call it Disney podcast. It is that on Twitter with the um, pornographic Disneyland picture at the header. <laughs> and uh, you can support Set us. On, yeah. Support us on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius, where we also talk about the best films and the worst films. We'll be talking about The Room pretty soon as well. That's Films and Filth, the Citizen Kane of Podcasting. I talk about the Twilight Zone at Time Enough Podcast, which is why I, I need to end this podcast, actually. <laughs> and uh, you can hear some video game stuff with Luke Loves Pokemon, Hyrule Field Report about the Zelda games, and the Game Game Show, in which British people game each other about games. Although last week, it was actually myself and a few a few Yankees doing the, um, you know, the American comedy reboot version. So... <laughs> 
uh what's up in your world any what's, uh, what's you your can, release <laughs> you can always find me on paranoidamerican.com i just recently released my first live episode on youtube so you can find paranoid american on youtube now and basically whenever i go on a live swap cast somewhere i'll live stream it there but i'm also working on a series of ai generated documentaries um i'll <laughs> like so that farther the, <laughs> so the the two the first one i'm working on it's the occult history of the pentagram uh it's completely animated and it's narrated by lavar burton of uh reading rainbow talking about the <laughs> the pentagram and how it plays into like modern mysticism and everything else. Um, and then I have another one that's narrated by Robert stack um, of unsolved mysteries, but I don't want to reveal what the, uh, the topic of that one is yet. They're both kind of in the works, but you'll be able to find both of those on the YouTube. And I think you'll, you'll find them enjoyable. At least. Oh yeah. No, I was as a hardcore trek here, just watching the new Picard episode last night between my poos and <laughs> that sounds horrible again <laughs> and, and between my poos and, uh, yeah you know love of our Burton shows up there so yeah you know uh, geez personally send me those links please <laughs> yeah. it took a long time and I mean I've, I've listened to LeVar Burton in AI saying a lot of weird things <laughs> and it's, it's delightful it is delightful so, so LeVar, is LeVar Burton the king of AI then he does. He probably doesn't even know it himself. <laughs> he doesn't realize it yet. No, maybe he will. That would be cool if he if he did. Okay. Well, it's gonna take me four hours. But I'm gonna go find my way to those hundred acre woods and get my head ripped off and eaten. Mm -hmm.